Okay. Well, it's good to be here, and I'm glad I missed that typhoon. Did, did anybody have any family affected by the typhoon in northern Luzon? Nobody? Okay. Anybody got anybody affected in Mexico area? That hurricane was a big one, so we need to pray for them too. Well, let me, um, we're going to talk about something. <clears throat> it's interesting how the Lord works things. I, I think the very first time we met, I may be wrong, but I think the first time we met either Danny or, I heard Genesis 14. I don't know why. And then the next time it was Genesis 16. And I'd been doing work on Genesis 14. But, but the thing is, is Genesis 14, 15, 16, and 17 actually cover a huge concept. And you've already had one message on the idea of covenant. And I want to talk to you again about covenant, very important one today. And, and I want to challenge you as I approach this, that you be looking inside your heart. Because I'm going to talk to you, especially at the end, on the new covenant and how important it is and how it works. Now, some of you may have seen this clip before, but I want you to realize, you know, the world out there is we're going through Genesis right now at LACCF. Um, the world out there has a weird idea how we got our Bible. And I want to show you this is not how we got our Bible. <laughs> Moses went to the mountain, and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God, commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Whoa. Oh. Don't worry. Something went crazy. We'll see. Okay, sorry. We'll see Moses again. Moses went to the mountain, and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God, commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I punished you, forget it. Oh, Lord! Why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Wow. Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me! Oh, hear me! All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. Ten, ten commandments for all to obey. Now that is not how we got our Bible. Okay? The Bible was not put together as some sort of mistake. Okay? God knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. And, and by the way, and I just want to stop here real quick. If you ever ask yourself, why don't we have the original autograph, okay, the original document? And I want you to remember that every time God gave the people something, they abused it, including, remember, the bronze serpent? The bronze serpent was there for them to look up in faith. Instead, they started worshiping it. That's why we don't have the real cross. You know, I know a guy who's been through Europe, and he says, I have seen enough splinters of the cross in Catholic churches to build Noah's Ark. 
Yeah. Because everybody's got a splinter of the cross. And, and it, if we had the real Bible in from God's breathed mouth, it would be in a sealed glass, golden whatever, where people would have to pay money to get in and look at it, and they'd think they could get healed by touching it and all that kind of nonsense. So God knows what he's doing, okay? And, and as God put the Bible together... He put it together in a way that no other book has ever been put together. Now, what I want to talk to you about is uh, a title I call The God of Covenant. The God of Covenant. Well, why would I say the God of Covenant with those colors? Well, obviously, one of the covenants that we have always think about, and you already read about this, is Noah's Ark. And, uh, and by the way, Noah never looked like Russell Crowe. And, um, and he didn't get help from rock people, okay? Uh, that was really a strange movie. Uh, that, was a, that was a tree lover's avatar meets uh, the rock guy from Everlasting Story. I mean, it was a weird movie. But, um, but it's very important to understand God's concept of, of covenants. Now, we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the Old Testament covenants, but I want to share a concept with you about them because I want us to think about the covenant that we're under today that is actually more important. So what we're first going to do is hear the whole chapter. So if you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles, turn your iPads, turn your smartphones to Genesis 16, and you can read along, or you can watch it on the screen and listen. And um, people say, well, that's really cool that you got the Bible on tape. Why'd you do that? And that's because when you look at all these names, I don't want to butcher them by mispronouncing them. It's easier for you to listen to them. And uh, that will help you. So let me go ahead and first commit the time to the author. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to spend some time. Lord, this is an important story about Sarai and Hagar and Abram. And um, there's so many different ways I could have gone. And I really felt your spirit wanted me to continue with a thought process that I'd had as I started to work through Genesis years ago in helping CCF in the Philippines. So just pray that as we hear your word, that your spirit will grab our hearts and open our hearts to your word and uh, plant them, Lord, deep, deep in our puso, in our heart, where they can make an impact. We commit this time back to you now in Jesus' name. Chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. 
So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was eighty-six years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Okay. The Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Um, you know, I don't know how you feel. You know, we were not raised in an Old Testament era. Those of you especially that have been raised from a Christian as a, as a very young person, the, the Old Testament really gets strange, Okay. I'm, I'm doing my Devo blogs right now through Judges, and it's just, it's, it's just a minefield of what in the world are people thinking? And um, so I know there's a lot of questions that go on, including here, but we can't cover them all, especially in just one message. I mean, if you're going to do a real study of this, it needs to be a verse by verse through the book. But um, this, this kind of message still covers some things that are very important that God can teach us. What I plan to do is I want to give you an outline of uh, 16, make a few little comments on that. I want to look at one passage there, okay, and I want to talk to you about the covenant defined. What is a covenant? I want to talk about the major covenants that we have in the Bible. This is not one of them, but it's still an issue. And the covenant of God, or the God of covenant, actually, the covenant God, I should call it. The, he is a God who makes covenants, and, and, and that needs to be taken very seriously. In fact, uh, you know, there's a guy out there, I won't name a name, but there's a guy that for years used to try and milk people, uh, build people out of money, actually used to pull in $93 million a year. He may still be on TV, but his whole thing was about you sowing a seed of faith by sending him money, and you were to vow your vow, and he'd always quote, if you vow your vow, you better not fail to pay your vow. Well, no, that was right. But he, he forgot there was a passage in there right before there. It is better not to vow a vow. <laughs> See? He didn't ever name that one. See, because God knows that we can get emotional and say rash things. Folks, you know, as an American pastor for 14 years, I can't tell you the number of people that ended up divorced because they couldn't get over a rash statement. And it was made, and it was like an agreement. I'm leaving, and that's it. 
And you're, I can remember looking at these guys and saying, look, I know you were mad. I know you said you're leaving, but is that really what God wants you to do? Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It's all blah, 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 blah. pride. So covenants are important. Let's look at 16. Abram and Sarai stumble in their faith. Now, why do I say that? Well, it's obvious. God told Abram that the seed that would be the, the key would come from who? Abram and who? Yeah. Well, Sarah, her name gets changed to Sarah. But is Sarai here? It was Abram there. Becomes Abraham and Sarah. We won't go into all that right now. Here's the issue. They decided to try and help God their own way. And that's why I call it stumbling in faith, because Sarai doesn't believe that she can get pregnant. And Abram, who's 86 years old, now I'll guarantee you Hagar was not 70, 60. She was probably 30. And you're 86 years old. And your wife says, I want you to have sex with her. Yeah, twist my arm, right? Yeah, I mean, honestly. Now, I bring this up for one thing. I want you to realize, no matter how big a loser you think you are, look at the kind of people that God uses. I mean, this is ridiculous. Abram's a male, and I'm convinced that Hagar was a young girl who's taking care of Sarai. I mean, she wouldn't get some 84, hey, you come and take care of me. I'm 85, you're 84, right? So Abram's got some young babe there, and, my, and his wife says, go have sex with her. I want to submit, Lord. <laughs> you know, what a bunch of rationalization that is. What a bunch of, you know, Abram should have said, no, Sarai, I'm supposed to have sex with you. <laughs> and we're going to have this seed. Yeah, I know I'm fleshing this out, but I want to bring it down to where the flesh is. God does not pick the five beta kappas and the top of the line and the holiest of holies to use. That's what he want to, wants to make us. He wants to make us excellent at what we do. He wants us to be holy because we walk by faith and trust him fully. But look what he does here. Just You're going to see in the chapters to follow, God just scraps by and goes, okay, I'm not going to not bless you just because you blew it. Okay, Abram and Sarai regret and blame. Look what happens. Sarai gets what she wants. I want Hagar to be pregnant. And Abraham, you know, well, you know, I only did it because you wanted it right. You know, come on. And so they blame each other. And then sadly, we already read that, that Abram says, look, She's your girl. You do what you want. And Sarai just mistreats her. So then she flees. And we know that the next part is God's covenant with Hagar. I've heard your plea. Now, folks, if you, if you read, you know, I don't know what you heard when you were listening to the word of God, but it's amazing that way back then God let Israel know through Hagar you're going to have enemies fighting all the time. And it's true. I mean, God calls him a wild donkey of a man. What, everybody's hand's going to be against him and his hand's going to be against everybody. And see, if I go on the news and say this today, I'm a racist. 
But the sad part is all you got to do is look at the Middle East and see what's going on. If everybody to the east of Israel would say, you know what, we don't want to mix with those Jews, but they can have the land and just leave us alone, everybody be in peace. Everybody be in peace. The, the Jews aren't out there going, I hate that Syria, I'm going to bomb it. I hate that Iran, I want to take it over. They just want to be left alone. But the problem is there was a prophecy that God said that the descendants of Ishmael are going to be fighters. They're going to be fighters, and they're going to fight everybody, and they are. But his promise was, your seed will be many. And that's the truth. That's the truth. We, we got two groups of people in the world, well, maybe three, Jews, Samaritans, which is a very small group, and Gentiles. And Hagar's people are the Gentiles, and they far outnumber the Jews. Hagar honors God. She understands that God has honored what I did, and he says, go back. Remember, what was the word he said about to Sarai? You're to go back and what to her? Submit. Man, this is so hard. This was probably one of the hardest things I learned from Peter Tanji is learning to submit to authority because as Americans, we are taught to rebel. Our country started on rebellion, okay? We, King George, you know? And it's all through our blood. I'm going to do my own thing because that's what I want to do. Okay? And my parents, you know, American parents are, the minute that clock turns 18 years old, you're an adult on your own, bye-bye. And that's not biblical. Okay? I got no problem with people leaving home at 18, but it doesn't mean that the family unit breaks down. There's still authority. So God tells Hagar to honor Sarai, and then Hagar honors God, and then Ishmael is born. Now, that's just a simple breakdown of Genesis 16. Okay? But that's how I view it. I think it's very important to point out that Abram and Sarai stumbled in their faith. Because I don't know about you, but a lot of us try to manipulate things to happen. You know, I, I talk to people buying uh, property. I talk to people that are trying to get visas. I talk, and I say, just do not do something manipulative. Okay, I remember when I was almost deported from the Philippines because I got my 9G, that's a visa that we have to pay for every year as, as uh, missionaries to stay in the country. And, um, and it can get quite expensive because it depends if you meet an honest person or not. And, uh, and you have to have five signatures on your 9G visa of the immigration leaders. And I had four. And they held my passport till three days past the due date. And then they accused me of overstaying legally. And I'm going, but you've got my passport. I mean, I couldn't do anything. And, and it was a long year process. I won't give you the whole story. It was terrible. In fact, Larry Amita, if you know him, he became my Kasama. And he just used to sit there and watch in amazement. I mean, I had these lawyers in the office at the head, the head man of the uh, immigration, and they were calling me this arrogant American who was abusing the Philippine laws and all this. And Larry knows me. I'm not the kind of guy who just, uh, 
but uh, we had committed, we will not do anything, shame the Lord. And so I would sit there and go, you know, please forgive me. I didn't know I was doing something wrong. I, I thought I'd done all the paperwork right, but... And finally, one of the head guys offered me to fix my visa for 50,000 pesos. Yeah. And I said, no. I said, no. Because I knew it was under the table. And God took me through a long lesson of sitting in the head of the immigration sheriff's department. That's not the name of it, but it's the guy who's in charge of people who've done things illegally. And he says, here's what I'm going to do for you, Pastor Lee. I'm going to give you the privilege of paying all your back fines. That was 225,000 pesos. What a privilege. Thank you. (laughs) And then I'm going to sign your visa to extend to four days after you're supposed to leave because we're ready to leave for home ministry. He says, if you overstay, though, we're going to deport you and you'll never be allowed back in. Now, folks, see, here's what I want to teach you real quickly on this. Just because you do what's right doesn't mean it's always going to go easy. I argued with God. You don't want to pay this fine. Yes, I do. No, you don't. No, you don't. You want to lead me to someone who will waive the 200,000 plus. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. (laughs) And I had to pay it. But I left that place knowing that I'd honored God. And so God was going to honor what we did. And sure enough, we had gifts that came in that covered all the fees. Okay? Because God is good. And I didn't advertise this. I didn't write everybody and, and tell them. I just said we were having trouble. And people sent funds. Okay. So, it's important to get this these chapters. Always take a chapter apart and start to break it down. And and if you've got chapter headings in your Bible, (coughs) try to ignore them. Read the chapter for yourself and start to say, because folks, the, the, the chapter breakdowns are man's. They're not God's. We're the ones that decide this is chapter two or chapter three or chapter four. God didn't structure it that way. It's just a manuscript. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will help you see things just by, wow, that, that's really communicating something to me. Now, here's the verse I want to focus on. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they, may, they will be too many to count. Now, whether you believe me or not, that's a covenant. The word covenant is not used there. And for some reason, we think that if the word covenant is not there, that that means it's not a covenant. So the best way to help you with this is let me define covenant for you. Covenant defined, it's as a noun, an agreement usually formal between two or more persons to do or not do something specific. Okay? Now look at it this way. When we talk about legally, a formal agreement of legal validity, especially one under seal. How about this one? Ecclesiastical, that means with the church. A solemn agreement, a solemn, solemn agreement between the members of a church to act together in harmony with the precepts of the gospel. What is the covenant of CCFLA? Okay, go ahead. What is it? To make 
to make Christ-loving disciples who make Christ-loving disciples. That's a covenant, folks. That's what you've agreed to be. Okay? So guess what? If you're not trying to make disciples, you're not following through on your part of the covenant. It's that simple. Notice I said trying. It's not your job to make. It's your job to be willing. God will lead people into your lives. But you have to make yourself available. But let's look at a scriptural view. The promises, unconditional or conditional, made to humanity by God as revealed in scriptures. Now, did God make a promise to Hagar? Yes. What did he say? You're right. I will greatly multiply. Okay? Is that a covenant? Yeah, why? It's an agreement. He's saying, I'm going to let you live. She's out in the desert by herself, fleeing from Sarai. I'm going to let you live. I'm going to let the baby come to term, and I am going to multiply his seed unbelievably. That is a promise, folks. That's not something that's negotiable. God has said it's going to happen. Therefore, it's going to happen. You know, it's, you know I, I need your prayers. On Wednesday, I leave my beloved for 13 days. She will be staying here to help with the four boys and the twins on the way. I made some commitments that we basically canceled everything that we were going to do except these two commitments. I'm speaking at a missions conference, and I'm doing a men's retreat. And I went to my wife, and I had told her that we were going to cancel it, and she encouraged me. She says, I really think you need to go. Uh, I don't want to be apart from her during this time because this is a sabbatical portion of my time also. I'm recuperating from sleep dysfunction, and I'm trying not to do a whole lot. But we feel good about that, okay? And so I, I need you to pray for her. But, but here's the thing as, as we look at this, that when, when I get on that plane knowing how fearful I am of flying, you know, I'm so fearful of flying, I always look for other Christians. If there's other believers, we're going to make it, you know? If I'm the only believer, this plane's doomed, you know? That's just, yeah, I'm a negative guy on that one. But, you know, the reason I'm able not to be fearful in the sense of stopping, you know, I know people who won't fly. They're terrified of flying. I know a woman that never, ever, 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 ever went anywhere with her husband until right before he died because she was terrified of flying. And after she got there, she, she regretted 35 years of never going on vacation with him. Okay? The reason I get on there is this. Because I know that God said my days are numbered. And I know that God said he's sovereign. And Nate, if I want to take you home, this whole plane can land in Maryland and you'll die in your seat when we land. <laughs> or this plane can spin out over Chicago and it'll explode and you'll land in a rice field and live. Now there's no rice fields in Chicago, but my point is this. <laughs> you know, my point is, it's not up to me, is it? It's up to God. Now, that's what we're talking about here. And that's why I really get upset with the health, wealth, prosperity people who twist promises of God and try to get you to believe them. Oh, that if you give your $10, God's going to multiply it a million times. That's, that's not in the scriptures, folks. Oh, if you give your life to Jesus, he'll heal you of all your diseases. That's a lie. 
If you marry a Christian, your marriage will be easy. <laughs> Talk to my wife. It's a lie. The four people that have caused me the most anguish in my life are my three children and my wife. And the four people that have caused me the most growth and joy in my life are my three children and my wife. And that's the way it works. They're the, oh, she's leaving me, okay. <laughs> dear, dear, leave the key to the truck. I, I, I need to get home, okay. Now, what I'm trying to get across to you is this is why, and some people think I'm a, a war horse about this. They've seen me get angry when I mention these false teachers, and here's the reason why. I take the promises of God serious. And if it's a promise, I stand on it. But it better be a promise. When you tell me that God promised you something and I can't find it in the Word of God, I'm going, your whole life can be going off in the wrong direction because you've listened to a lie of Satan who says it's a promise of God. That's why this is important. Now, this, this next quote is a little complicated, but work through it with me. This is by Herbert Carson. A covenant is essentially a pledge-defined relationship. Think about that. A pledge, it's describing how this relationship will work. See? See, in other words, right now I want to take, here, I'm going to stop you from reading. I want to take most people that are getting married and change their vows. I don't want to hear uh, better or worse. Okay? I want to hear I take you for worse or worser. Okay? I take you for cellulite or gravity. I take you for six-pack or keg. Right? I really, I mean that. I take you for stretch marks. Because what's going on in our country, in this country right here, my country, is once she gets 40, 45 years old and starts showing her age, we take her in and trade her in for the new model like it's a car place. Okay? And, and the newer cars are made out of fiberglass. The new, the new models of the women are made out of silicone and Botox. And a real woman can't compete with that. A real woman cannot compete with a girl who has been sculpted. They are sculpted precisely to make my eyes react because that's how God made me. So I have to ask the Holy Spirit to continue to make my eyes see my wife. And by the way, men, if you pray that, you'll be amazed how active you will remain all the way through your life. Because your wife's appetites seem to get stronger as she moves 40s and 50s. You're going, where were you when I was 25, right? <laughs> it's the way God made us. And it's all in a plan to develop giving, tenderness, thinking of others other than yourself, being more interested in how she's enjoying intimacy and the relationship 
than how you're enjoying intimacy in the relationship. All those things. So, a pledge-defined relationship. There are three main elements in a covenant. The parties contracting together, the promises involved, and the conditions imposed. It is clearly possible to have a covenant between equals or one which is imposed unilaterally by a supervisor. It is obvious, however, that any covenant between God and man can never be as between equals. Amen? Amen. But must be imposed from above. I'm dealing with a guy right now that I love dearly. In fact, I think I mentioned him last time. And he's telling me I cannot believe in God until he proves himself to me. And I'm going, you just, you just guaranteed that it's never going to happen. See? All you have to do is switch those words around a little bit. Lord, I want to believe in you. Help me believe. Show yourself real. He will. But when you demand, you show me, and then, no. That's not the way it works. Because we're not talking equals. Okay? So let's look at the main covenants of the Old Testament. The Adamic covenant. Innocence. Don't call it holiness. Adam and Eve were not created holy. They were created innocent. Holiness is confirmed character. That's what the purpose of the tree was. And they failed that test. And grace. Genesis 3.15. Not only will I spare your life and put you out of the garden so you cannot eat of the tree of life and live forever in a sinful state, but I'm going to give your woman the seed to the Messiah. And although the serpent will bruise his heel, he shall crush the serpent's head. The Noahic covenant. Oh, by the way, Genesis 3.15 just follow how many times the enemy tried to destroy the Messiah. Two kings, okay? Two kings alone destroyed all the babies that they could. An Egyptian king and a Jewish king. And that's just, that's just two things. Constantly, the enemy tried to destroy any way for the Messiah to be born. The Noahic covenant, which is rainbow, what does that mean? Well, I promised Noah I will never destroy the earth by a flood again. This time I'll destroy it with fire and I'll get the rock people to build big furnaces. No. <laughs> that movie, I just... Yeah. You know, if I ever took a Shakespearean uh, book and changed it the way they changed the Bible, I would be thrown out of Hollywood. It's just a joke. <sighs> Abrahamic covenant, father of many nations and Israel. Okay? Now there we're talking more spiritual folks than physical. Although Abraham is the father of many nations because he's also the father of Ishmael. God was more talking about the fact that your seed is going to be the salvation for all peoples, not just the Jews. Mosaic covenant, blessings and curses. And the Davidic covenant. Your throne's going to be forever. That's a very important covenant. God says that the David's throne, Jerusalem, is going to rule forever. Now, some people tried to make that sound like, well, David's going to. No. He's actually talking about the seed of David. And he's only, when he talks about forever, he's talking about when there's going to be a kingdom. 
And there will be another thousand-year kingdom that is going to be set up, and it will be the throne of David that Jesus Christ sits on, on this globe, after that horrible thing called the tribulation. But then after that kingdom comes the eternal state, which is a great time. Can, a covenant can be conditional or unconditional. What do I mean? Getting the land was an unconditional gift. I don't know if you know that. Unconditional gift, but to remain in it was based on obedience. Look, Joshua 1, 1 through 3, if you keep reading, it says, Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, which you and all this people to the land, and all this people to the land, which I am giving to them. It's theirs. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. God's not saying you got to go take it. He said, go get it. Now, he didn't say that it was going to be easy. He didn't say it wouldn't be without struggle. There was still war to come. But God just said, listen, relax. What? It's your land. Now, folks, if you want to know why God does what he does, you got to talk to him, not me. I can give you some guesses. All you have to do is look at what it does it take to make a person a mature, healthy adult. And personally, I don't think we ever arrive till we get to Jesus. But we start much worse than when we get to like 30, if we've been raised in a decent society, a decent home. Why? Because when we're born, we're helpless. We're an amoeba. We can't even hold our head up. I mean, just, you know? Do you like eating next to a one-year-old? <laughs> I mean, my, my four-year-old today, Rowan, he was eating um, French bread with Mattella on it. And he looks at me and goes, Papa, how do you like my chocolate smile? He's got all his stuff all over, man. I'm going, man, you know. Now, I laugh because he's four. If he was 30, Papa, I'm going, man, dude, you need to get a life, dude. So what I'm trying to say is, if God had us come out of our mom's womb and suddenly expand to 30, 30 years old, you know nothing. You don't even know how to walk yet, right? I mean, see, God starts us right where he needs to start us, start us and he takes us step by step for physical uh, uh, coordination, for mental, for emotional, all those things. Well, same thing. The land's yours. That doesn't mean you just walk in and go, oh, Israel's here. Oh, let's get out. No, that's not the way it worked. But, now notice this. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you will prolong your days in the land. What's going on in Deuteronomy? There's, Moses is saying, obey God. He's given you the land, but that doesn't guarantee you get to keep it. And if you remember the history of Israel, folks, the reason they lost the land every time, it was always disobedience. We're not going to worship in Jerusalem. We're going to worship where we want to worship. And we're going to worship who we want to worship. And then you had the split of the kingdom. Rehoboam, Jeroboam, 10 tribes constantly, not one good king in the 10 tribes. And even the good kings of the two and a half tribes, every one of them fell at the end. 
I mean, one of the greatest kings of all actually cursed his own people by extending his life. When Hezekiah asked for 15 more years, and I would have done it. I'm not saying he's bad and wanting to live. But did you know that it was after that Manasseh was born, who was one of the worst kings ever in the history of the people? Maybe Israel would have done better if Hezekiah would have just said, yeah, it's time to go home. Look, I'm like you, okay? I hope I'm like you. I don't look forward to death. I don't go, oh, goody, 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 can't wait to die. No, I, I would rather go through rapture. But, and I've said this here before, I've said it everywhere I go. I'm convinced, even if it's in a plane crash, the minute I step over that line of eternity, if I get a chance to look back, I'll go, what in the world did I want to stay down there for? You're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. You're going to be with all the saints. Sin is going to be eradicated out of your life. You will never have a wrong thought again. Yeah. Now, I don't think God lets us live that reality because most Christians would commit suicide then. Because heaven's a much better deal than earth. Right? I don't have to worry about my mortgage. Right? Yeah. But that's not what he wants. He gave us the instinct, and I believe it's an instinct. It's an inborn, innate drive. I want to live. The only difference is this, is when you add the comma for him, it adds the quality of the length. There's a lot of people that live long, but they live a long, miserable life. Now, that's the Old Testament issues. But I want to move to what we're under right now, a new covenant. Yes. <laughs> the new covenant is unconditional and conditional. Yeah, unconditional, amen. Yeah, speaking in tongues. <laughs> unconditional and conditional. Look. Unconditional covenant. What is unconditional about this covenant? It is between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Did you know that God did not make the covenant of salvation between us and Him? Well, Nate, is that, well, see, I said that deliberately, ambiguously. That's why we need to be more precise. God did not make the procurement, the ability of salvation to happen between him and us. Because if he had, there would never be salvation. Because we always fall short. God did make the receiving of salvation as a covenant between us and him. That's where our participation takes place. But the unconditional portion of the covenant was made between the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to work a plan of salvation, of redemption, of atonement. Okay? Now, remember our, remember our definition. It's an agreement between parties and the um, issues involved in the agreement are spelled out. Well, what are the issues in the agreement? Well, first of all, let's look again at the covenant. 
for God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, that's part of the covenant. Unconditional covenant. I, the Father, gave my only begotten, get that, because everyone that gets saved is a child of God. So don't just say, gave his son. Make sure you clear it in your mind. Only begotten son. Why? Because if you're a child of God, you're a son of God. Not the son of God. Not the only begotten son of God. You are human, 100%, and you remain that way. This person is 100% human and 100% God, which does not compute. Okay? Hebrews 10, 1 through 10. For the law, since it is only a shadow, was only, has only a shadow of the good things that come and not very form of the things, can never by the same sacrifices they offer continually year by year satisfy. Okay, make perfect. Now he goes on and he keeps talking, but here's what I want to get to. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he's talking about the perfect sacrifice. This is all under the new covenant. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, those old covenant sacrifices didn't do it. Why? Because they had to keep doing it year after year after year, day after day. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. Why? Because the new covenant is based on the sacrifice of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't take pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs to take away sins. Now listen, this is important. The old covenant did use animal blood to allow God's wrath to be poured on top of that blood to protect the Old Testament believer from God's wrath. But it only covered his sin. Okay? It did not take away, and we'll see a verse in that in just a second. Here's part of that covenant, though. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now remember, that Christ, who is God, did not consider equality with God to be something grass. Now here's part of the unconditional covenant. But I, Father, will empty myself of my rights of deity. He didn't empty the deity. Jesus never ceased being God. That's why theologians of all kinds cannot get our minds wrapped around what happened on the cross with my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's very difficult for us because there's clearly a break of something between the Father and the Son during those three hours of blackness as sin was poured on Christ and Christ became sin for us. But he never ceased being God. But he ceased the right to act as God. Have you ever had a friend say, hey, if Jesus and, and, and God the Father are equal, how come Jesus said no one knows the date, not even the Son? That's a good question, isn't it? That's a fair question. And here's what you need to help them. They're misunderstanding something. Jesus isn't saying, I don't know the date. He's saying no one has the right to give that date except the Father. See, I gave up that right. I completely emptied myself. That was part of the new covenant. I will become the servant of God the Father, even though he and I are equal. Now, this is very difficult for us because we could, we're not, you know, people say we're tripart beings, but body, soul, spirit. First of all, soul and spirit is, is the same word in the Greek. So, you know, 
you might, it might be better to say physical, conscious, and spiritual. That would make sense to me. But I can't parse those. You know, parse means separate. I can't separate those. But the Trinity, in, in a way that I can't understand, you can't understand because we're not God, there are three distinct personhoods that are one person. I know that's hard. Praise God, that shows who it's from. Because if you can explain it, he's no God. He's no bigger than man. So God the Father gave his son, why? Because the blood of animals was not good enough. So he prepared a human incarnation for God the Son. See, even, even when people say, well, Jesus Christ had no beginning, I'd say, wait a minute, be careful there. You need to be precise. Jesus Christ as God had no beginning. Jesus Christ as God's Son did. What do you mean? He, Mary was impregnated. Jesus Christ grew in a womb. So he has no beginning as far as his being because he's God Almighty. He's eternity. But as far as the Messiah, he had a beginning. Folks, Jesus Christ did not come out 30 years old. Jesus Christ cut teeth just like your babies did. He messed his diaper just like your babies do. I know that's a difficult concept. I know it is for me. But I, I don't have to answer all that. I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches. So then the son empties himself to make sure that there is that servant needed. For what? Well, for this. When God made the promise to Abraham, what? That he's going to bring salvation. He could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself. See, this between me, myself, and I, the Father say. This between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Abraham. What we're going to accomplish in the new covenant. Now, what are those agreements of that covenant? Very important. Sin must be paid for. God didn't blink, folks. God didn't do what our lawyers in, in America do nowadays. They don't practice right and wrong justice. They practice technical justice. <clears throat> the guy standing there soaked in blood with knives, standing over the body, and because some officer forgot to say something, that guy walks. That's not justice. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. You want to do what's right? Punish the officer for not doing what his job was. But that's got nothing to do whether this guy's a butcher. See, God doesn't play those games. Not even with himself. The soul that sins will die. Well, wait a minute. If, if you're going to have salvation, well, how's Nate? Oh, you mean Nate's just going to physically die? No, no, no. The soul. What I'm talking about is eternal death. This person will be eternally separated from me because that's what death means. So the agreement is there must be a death to pay for sin. Well, what happens if Nate pays for his own sin? Well, that's good. He goes to hell. That's the best he can do. The best Nate can do to take care of his own... But can he pay for his wife's sin? No. Why? Because Nate's a sinner. How can he who is already judged 
deliver someone else. So, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? Why? Because the blood of the animals sanctified him enough that they didn't get judged, but they didn't get to go to heaven. They went to what was called paradise, Abraham's bosom. But they had to stay there until Christ rose from the dead. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Remember I said I was going to come back to this. There it is. The whole reason the new covenant is built on this is because God said part of the agreement of the new covenant that I've made with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that sin must be paid for. And the only way to pay for sin is through the sacrifice of blood. But the blood of animals will only get it covered. It won't get it forgiven. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Now, I hope you're having some lights go off. That's what this is about. This new covenant. But here's another agreement of the new covenant. God speaking, my salvation is non-revocable. Now get this, it's my plan, I do it all. I supply the sacrifice, I send the sacrifice to the cross, I pour my wrath on the sacrifice, the sacrifice dies judged, I don't understand all that, and then I raise myself. And if you read the scriptures, I can show you where the Father raised the Son, I can show you where Jesus said he will raise himself, and I'll show you where in Romans it says the Holy Spirit raised the Son. It was the plan of the triune Godhead. I will do it all. Now, here's the second part of the agreement, okay? Because sin must be paid for, and I'm going to do it all. Once I give the plan, <coughs> if you enter into the conditional part of the agreement, which we're going to look at in just a second, that you accept the plan, It's done deal. Oh, no, no, Lord, you know, I became a Christian, but then I got down the road and I decided I'd rather be a Buddhist. Too late. What? Too late. And I'm, I'm real stuck on this, folks, okay? This isn't something, you know, oh, well, Nate, what if the guy says, I don't care, I hate Jesus. I'm telling you this right now. There will be people that denied Christ that are in heaven. There are not going to be a lot of them. Because most of the people that walk away from Christ never got converted. It's not that they had salvation and lost it. It's that they were never saved. They prayed to receive an emotion. They did it because their college barcada did it. Look how clear God is on this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you for what? Until you deny me. Until you sin again. Until you really blow it. Forever. Hebrews, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. How long is ever? Now let's, let's play devil's advocate here. 
Let's say that you could lose your salvation, which some Christian churches out here teach. In fact, some of my good friends, and I love them, and I won't name them, call this a debatable issue, and I will not. This goes right to the heart of who our God is, folks. I know this because I'm a dad. And I have let my three children know something. You may walk away from God and even become a satanic priest, and you will break me as far as my heart, but you will never cease being my child. And you better understand that. I will always see you as my son or my daughter or my son, and I will pray for you and I will love with you, even if I don't like you. Blood is thicker than anything. Especially when it comes to the blood of Christ. So let's play devil's advocate. Let's say you can lose your salvation. Number one, first God is going back on his word. That's the first thing you got to admit. What do you mean? Well, God said, I will never forsake you. You will have the Holy Spirit forever. I mean, we're so perverted from the enemy that even one of our favorite Psalms, we quote David, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It doesn't say my. That's the problem with the old King James. The word was thy. That's why the new one is so nice. Restore to me the joy of your. It's never a confusion. It's not my salvation. It's his salvation. Consider what God would have to undo to unsave you. Okay, let's do this real quick. He has to unregenerate you. What? He has to rip out the new nature and let the old nature come back to life. Which, according to Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified. Okay, so that's changed now. Wait a minute. What, but he, when he was on the cross, you were crucified with him then. The moment you receive Christ, you're identified with Christ. No, 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 I've undone that. I unregenerate you. I unindwell you. Even though I can show you scripture after scripture after scripture that says I will indwell you forever. Now God has said, no, I will unindwell you. Check this one out. I will unbaptize you. This isn't meaning you'll get dry instead of being wet. This is talking spirit baptism. This is saying this, I will rip you out of the body of Christ and put you in the world again. Not CCFLA. This is not the body of Christ. This is a local body of Christ. The body of Christ is made up of all those who have a personal relationship through Jesus Christ with God the Father. Okay? And that is the spiritual body and God will go, Hunk! now you're in the world again. It's really getting quite complicated, guys. He will unseal you. What? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 4.30, which you are sealed with until the day of... When's the day of redemption? The day, when does Christ, what, is, what is the day of redemption known as? It's in the scriptures. It's when Christ comes back for the body of Christ. So you're sealed, but now God goes, oh, let me rip that off. Let me... 666. And you're not my child. I unadopt you. You're not my child. I was only joking when I said you're my family. I wasn't serious. Now here's the big one. Here's the big one that nobody ever thinks about. 
And I remember when I was studying this and it dawned on me. You must go back before the foundation of the world and remove your name from the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because it was written before the foundation of the world. So God goes, oops, what? You know, I put Nate in there back then, but, you know, he got mad and cussed out a guy again. I've had it with him. Get that name out of there. It's tragic, folks. Now, here's the conditional part of the covenant as we close. It's between God and believers. There's too, pro too many promises to name. The first one is, and I've already mentioned it, you ask Christ to be your Savior. That's the conditional part. You want to be a child of mine? You ask to be a child of mine. You trust in what Jesus did. You admit you're a sinner. You admit you can't live. You know, I just, uh, I shared a story in Facebook, and some of you read it, some of you thanked me, but it's just great to watch this Muslim woman when I shared with her the whole gospel, and she goes, so you mean that a murderer, all he's got to do is ask forgiveness and trust in what Christ did, and he's saved? I said, yes. Yeah. She says, that's unfair. And I said, you're absolutely right. You should have seen her face. I said, God is totally unfair. Because fair is you get what you deserve. And if I got what I deserved, I'd go to hell. And if Jesus got what he deserved, he would have never gone to the cross. God is so unfair, he let Jesus pay my price. And they call that grace in the Bible. But look at these promises here. Answered prayer. It doesn't say answered prayer the way you want it. It says answered prayer. Needs meant. It doesn't say desires meant. You want an iPhone 6? Tough. God says stick with the 4. You're done right now. Okay? You'll make it one more day without iPhone 6, okay? <laughs> cleansing of guilt and restoration of fellowship. God states that. It doesn't say cleansing of sin. It's guilt. Now, I, I understand it says righteousness to forgive us of our sins, but you've got to put that in context. There's the sin of eternity and there's the sin of fellowship. My wife and I are married by a vow, no matter whether we feel it or not. But our fellowship goes moment by moment. One moment we can be good friends, another moment we can be seething at each other. And when my wife is seething at me or I'm seething at her, the thing to do is confess. And God says the same about him. If you come to me, even though you've blown it royally, if you ask for forgiveness, if you confess, and by the way, confession is not informing God of something he didn't know. God, I'm sorry, last night I went out. You did what? Oh, I was busy on Mars. What's wrong with you? <laughs> You're agreeing with God. That's what confession is. A lot of people have a problem with this. It's not that difficult. You're right. Your word said this was the wrong thing to do, and I did it. You're right. Please forgive me. And the hard part is this. To really follow through and see success and victory, there needs to be a metaneo, a change of direction, repentance. And that's the difficult part for all of us. I know it is for me. How not to keep doing the same stupid thing. But God says every time you do it again, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. Now here. There are some key issues to the conditional contract, okay? 
Ownership and accountability. What do you mean? Well, starting with the first one. God unconditionally offers salvation. The one condition you have is either you say yes or no. Now, you all know what the difference is, right? How many yeses are there? How many noes are there? Two. I always use my wife. Dee Dee, do you know I love you? Yes. I want to marry you. Will you marry me? She goes, yes, Nate. Too late now. <laughs> Dee Dee, do you want to, do you know that I love you? Yes, Nate. Dee Dee, will you marry me? No, Nate. <laughs> Dee Dee, do you know that I love you? Yes, Nate. Do you know that I want to spend my life with you? Yes, Nate. Dee Dee, will, will you marry me? Dee Dee, do, do you know I love you? Yes, Nate. Do you believe I love you? Yes, Nate. Do you believe I want to raise a family with you? Yes, Nate. Didi, will you marry me? That's a no. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that are going to go to hell because of that no. They know, I believe he's God. I believe he's blah, 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 blah. Do you want to trust me? I need to think about it. And then the bus hits them. And they don't get time to think about it too late. So, when we accept God's unconditional covenant of salvation, we do not own ourselves anymore. Don't you understand this is why Christians that sin get into more trouble than non-believers who sin? Have you ever noticed that? Some Christian uses cocaine once and he dies. How many coke addicts are there out there? I know, I worked at prison for two years. The people that had the longest sentences were Christians when they got busted. And I believe they're Christians. They, they, they admitted they were in sin. And I go, you got that much time for that crime? Yep. And I knew guys that did much worse than they did. And this one guy particularly said, you know what, Nate? This is from God. See, all these guys here, they're on their way to hell. They're paying for their sins right now, and they're going to keep paying Christ paid for mine, and I threw it in his face. That you are not your own. See, right there, that ought to end the discussion about loss of salvation. I own you now. See, anybody who says that salvation is free, and that means period, they do not understand the gospel. Salvation is free for us, comma, was very costly for God, comma, and it comes with strings attached. What are the strings? When you trust Christ, you get all that God wants you to have, but he now owns you. He owns you, and he can ask you to do things and lead you to do things and bless you to do things. When we accept God's unconditional covenant of salvation, we are free to live as we wish and held accountable for it. Okay? For the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes each one he accepts as his children. Okay? All discipline for a moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now I want to warn you about something. Be careful how you judge sometimes. It's not discipline but mercy. What do I mean? True story. There was a missionary, this was decades ago, but there was a missionary that found herself seriously ill on the field. This is back in the day snail mail, okay? 
So there's no way to get funds to this person quickly, nothing. Okay, her pay, she got notification that her pay was going to be late. And she was trying to get food to get strong because she was dying, literally dying. And all she had was boxes and boxes of oatmeal. And she just had to eat oatmeal three times a day for 30 days. It's truth. Then her pay came. She went back on furlough to the United States and she was touring churches and she was sharing with people. And <clears throat> she got a lunch with a doctor who wanted to talk to her. He'd been following her newsletters and stuff. And she opened up to him. She says, I, I got to talk to you about something. I I've been bitter towards the Lord. He said, why? She said, well, here I was serving him as hard as I could and I got this intestinal virus and almost died. And just when I needed money to get me some beef and some chicken, some protein in my life, my paycheck was delayed. And I had to eat oatmeal for one month. And he started smiling and he said, I'm going to tell you something. And he, he gave her the name of the disease. I don't bother to memorize it. He said, if you were in the United States of America, you would have put, been put on a diet of oatmeal for one month, or you would have died. Yeah. True story. Yeah. And so she thought God was judging her, and what God was doing was sparing her. Think twice before you accuse the Lord. And there's one more, and then I'm closing. There is an appointment for all children of God. I'll read this whole one. Because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever's building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have laid, Jesus Christ. What? Unconditional salvation. That is the foundation for every believer. Notice, no one can lay any other foundation. That's not baptism, not church membership, none of that stuff. Just Jesus. But then he goes on. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Now, this is conditional accountability. What? Nathan, I've given you salvation. Now, you build a life on that salvation. But I'm going to hold you accountable. And he's not talking about our sin. Excuse me. He's not talking about our sin. Sin is not part of the thing here. Sin is never brought up again. What he's talking about is, did I do things for his glory or for mine? For his pleasure or mine? See, that's why I get nervous about sports parents that are Christians. It's good that you get your kid in sports. It's not good that you do it all so much that you ignore God. That's for your pleasure, not for God's. The fire will show if each person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. Look, the builder will be saved. See, the unconditional covenant of God. It's my salvation. You accept it. You're mine. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. What? There's no evidence that you should be in heaven, but you are. Now, folks... If you think for one second, well, at least I'm in heaven, you need to check your salvation. I mean that. No Holy Spirit indwelt person would think, 
All it is is good enough to get to heaven. That what you're doing is you're backing into heaven away from hell. And that's not the way. God does not want you to enter heaven rear end first. He wants you to enter face running towards Jesus. That's what, I mean, I came to know Christ to get out of hell. I'm backing away. Back, but then it turns, and I start to get the joy of knowing Jesus. I know Jesus, and I'm glad I'm not going there. But I want to go there with as much investment as I can so I can walk up to him and say, Look, this is what you did with that life you saved. And I get credit, but he gets the glory. God is not going to disown the credit. He's going to say, you did good. Well done. Challenge. Have you entered into the new covenant? Do you understand how secure your eternity is? Are you being a good steward of your eternal rewards? You know what I've learned about eternal rewards? They're the only thing that are earned. Salvation isn't earned. Grace isn't earned. But eternal rewards, which are blessings, are earned. That's our accountability. That's the only condition of our walk. Father, I want to just thank you for your new covenant. It's incredible. Only the God of gods could come up with a plan like that. We pray right now that you'll help us to examine ourselves. Are we in the faith? Do we know you? Lord, let us not look at our sin, because if we look at our sin, all of us will feel unsaved. Let us look at our whole life. Does the majority of our time and our thoughts funnel towards you? Do we think about how we can please you? Do we enjoy you? No matter how the enemy tries to weigh us down or how much our flesh, we allow our flesh to control us. And are we seeing growth? And then, Lord, I pray, are we serious about investing in eternity, knowing that we will be held accountable? Not in a mean way, but, Lord, in a way that we should be nervously anticipating. Nervous because we know we're human, but, Lord, anticipation because your grace is so great. You just want us to follow. You don't ask me to do what Peter Tanji's done. You don't ask Peter Tanji to do what Billy Graham's done. You don't ask Billy Graham to do what Paul has done. You ask George, Mary, John, Nate, anyone to do what you asked each individual by their name to do. That's not a big request. Help us finish the race with anticipation. Spirit of God, as I step down, Whoever's going to come to close us, I pray we'll just pray for about five or ten seconds. Let you search our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Search us just now.